distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core, it's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. If past elections are any indication, the suburbs around Toronto will play an important role in deciding the next government. Vote-rich suburbs like Brampton and Etobicoke can be seen as a bellwether when it comes to Canada's electoral math. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Today, Brian Platt from the National Post will walk us through what he's seen on the ground in southern Ontario and what the parties are playing up in hopes of gaining much-needed ground. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment and fill out the survey in our show notes. Also, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to our show, leave us a rating and a review. So Brian, you recently spent time in Toronto's suburbs, both in the inner ring and the outer ring. What is it about the electoral math for these areas around Toronto that make the uh, region so important for the parties? The greater Toronto area is always talked about in elections, at least in modern times, as the crucial battleground that you need to win if you're going to win government. And it's it, it feels almost cliche now to talk about the you know battleground Toronto suburbs. But when you look at the math, there's just no getting around it. And it's not just that there's so many ridings, it's that they switch back and forth between the liberals and conservatives. Both parties have histories of winning. Depending how you count it up, it's somewhere in the range of 30 seats. And in any given election uh, over the past couple of decades, either the conservatives or the liberals have done very well in the Toronto suburbs on their way to a forming government. So in 2011, if you look at the election map, the conser- it's just all blue around Toronto. The conservatives pretty much swept the Toronto suburbs. And if you look in 2015, when the liberals formed a majority – they switched. It, I mean, it's not even just a little middle ground here and there or a patchwork. It went from entirely blue to entirely red. So if you're going to form a government, these you know 30 or so seats are just crucially important to win. So as the GTA goes, so goes the country, so to speak. Yeah. So you were in Brampton followed by Etobicoke, both bring different challenges and issues for the parties. Uh, let's start uh, a little farther out from Toronto proper. What is the, what's unique about Brampton? Brampton is unlike other places in the, in the Toronto suburbs in that all of the other Toronto suburbs are basically a fight between the liberals and conservatives. The NDP and the Green Party are not really a factor, at least going back on past, you know, the recent elections. But Brampton might be different because that's where Jugmeet made his political base. Uh, and the fact that he's risen to become leader of the NDP means that Brampton may be more of a three-way fight. I don't want to oversell it. You know, Brampton has been a bellwether riding in the way a lot of these other suburban communities have. So it may just be a liberal or conservative sweep. But unlike in those other communities, the NDP looks to have a real shot in Brampton, particularly in the area of Brampton East, which is where... Jugmeet Singh won provincially. He won, he almost, when he first entered politics, he ran federally and almost won it in 2011. 
Then he switched to provincial politics and won it twice in a row. And then in 2017, when he left to run federally, his brother stepped into that riding and won it fairly easily in last year's Ontario election. So Jagmeet Singh has high name recognition in Brampton. He has a strong ground organization there. He has won multiple elections there. And so it means that Brampton's five seats, which went all conservative in 2011, and then in 2015 went all liberal, this time around, the NDP may be a factor, and it changes the dynamic there considerably. It also needs to be stressed that the reason why this matters so much is because the liberals won five seats there in the last election on their way to a majority Mm -hmm. that had a fairly slim margin. It was only 14 seats. And by the time of this election, because of by-elections and resignations and various other things, the liberal majority is only seven seats entering into this election. So if they cannot hang on to Brampton, which has five, that really puts a liberal majority at risk. What is it that has the NDP potentially gaining traction in Brampton? Is it just the fact that uh, Jagmeet Singh uh, was a popular uh, member of provincial parliament from the area, or is it you know, a, a growing sense among left-leaning voters that the liberals aren't a good choice this time out? I think that it is localized to, to Brampton as more so than a larger movement among progressive voters. Brampton's about 600,000 people. So, you know, it's a sizable city on its own. When you look at comparing comparison to other Canadian cities, it's almost as big as Winnipeg. And, but it's about three quarters of minority population and almost half of the total population is South Asian. So, of course, Jagmeet Singh being a South Asian man himself, I would expect there is a certain extent to which people may look at it, like at him as the first non-white leader of a federal party and find that appealing. Aside from just the fact that he is well-resourced locally, he you know has a good organization, that all plays into it as well. He has big name recognition. And then on top of all of this, now you have the scandal that broke out last week, of Trudeau putting on brownface and blackface. And Mm -hmm. it is not clear to me yet how much of a factor that will be. I talked to the NDP candidate in Brampton East the day after this happened, who said he already has had it brought up to him the morning after the scandal broke and is sure that voters will bring it up when he's out canvassing. But it is hard to say yet how much people, even in a community with a high visible minority population, would abandon Trudeau over something like this. I'm sure that it cha- might change the way they look at him. Whether people are angry enough about it or insulted enough by it to change their vote, I think that's still very hard to say. So if that is not an issue that that potentially causes the Liberals trouble, what issues are people talking about in Brampton? It's interesting how sometimes local campaigns are so different from what everybody is talking about nationally. In, in Brampton, there's a couple of factors that are not really directly related to federal politics, but which I think could play a role here. One of them is the fact that the Doug Ford government, when it came in, one of the first things it did was canceled a planned university campus expansion, or a university campus it would be the first university campus built in Brampton. It's an expansion of a university in Toronto. And that had only been promised late in the game by the Ontario Liberal government. And so, I, you know, it's not like this had been a, a very long planned thing, but the Doug Ford's government canceled it. And for, for people in Brampton, a lot of young fam- families who would have um, children who are approaching university age or already in university age, 
they have to commute a long way if they want to live at home. They have to commute to Mississauga or into Toronto. And having a university there would have made a huge difference in people's lives. And so there's a lot of anger there. So this is that whole Doug Ford factor that people talk about. It's alive and well in Brampton for sure. And whether that means that people punish the conservatives over it, again, I don't think that can be predicted um, easily. But I think that it is a factor and and probably hurts the conservatives there. The NDP Mm -hmm. are focused on the hospital in Brampton. There's only one hospital for a city, full-size hospital for a city of 600,000. Jugmeet Singh appeared in Brampton on the second day of the campaign and said, uh, federal NDP government will fund a second hospital for Brampton. And that's what the NDP candidates are talking about at the doors all the time. Of course, federal government doesn't decide when and where to build hospitals. That is something the provincial government does. So I'm not sure how realistic this promise is, even aside from the fact that Jugmeet Singh has very little chance of making these, you know, becoming prime minister in this election anyway. But when you go door to door, you figure out the things that people care about and you try to use that to sway them to your side, aside from what the national factors may be. So the fact that there is a canceled university campus may hurt the conservatives. The fact the NDP are talking about building a second hospital may help the NDP. Whether that's decisive enough to actually sway any races Probably not, but if a race comes down very, very close, you never know when some of these small votes may make a big uh, difference. How big a factor is Doug Ford in this uh, in this city? I know Doug Ford is not running federally, but there's been a lot of talk and a lot of questions about whether some Ontario voters may be already disillusioned with the Ford government and may try and kind of take that out on Andrew Scheer and the federal conservatives. Yeah. Doug Ford is being talked about constantly in Ontario, and it's not just a media creation, although that's always part of it. It's, an, it's a good story for the media to talk about, but Justin Trudeau is bringing it up constantly when he's here, and it is impossible to miss the fact that when Andrew Shear's holding events, sometimes literally in the neighborhood that Doug Ford lives in, which he did last week, Doug Ford is nowhere to be seen. A big difference in 2015 when Kathleen Wynne, who was premier at the time, was constantly appearing with Trudeau on the campaign trail. And so I think the conservatives do not want to be associated with Doug Ford's campaign. It's pretty obvious. At the same time, uh, and, and just to make that point clear, it's because... Doug Ford's had a rocky first year of government. He's they've had a they've had a ton of of not necessarily scandals, but just controversies. There was a patronage appointment scandal that you could probably that really caused Doug Ford to fire his chief of staff. But but mm-hmm. they've just kind of gone from controversy to controversy, from autism funding to classroom sizes to blowing up Toronto City Council wards in the middle of a municipal election. I mean, these things I think have all made people wary of the Doug Ford government. And so the Andrew Scheer campaign does not want to be closely associated with that. At the same time, I do think that it is a little bit uh, presumptuous to assume that voters are ready to just flock to the liberals because of Doug Ford. These are the same voters who just completely annihilated the Ontario Liberal Party in the last election. The Ontario Liberal Party had been in power for about 15 years. And went from a majority government to losing official party status. They only won seven seats in a province with 124 seats, I believe. So 
the voters here also just rejected a whole bunch of Ontario liberals who are now working federally, in some cases running federally. I do think that the Doug Ford factor here is a little bit more nuanced than um, the media narrative has sometimes made it seem. How does that play out in in Doug Ford's backyard of Etobicoke? You spent some time there as well. What's the feeling in his own riding or his own kind of home base about the premier in relation to this federal campaign? I went out canvassing with the liberal candidate who definitely feels that there is voters remorse. There's buyers remorse, sorry, on the Doug Ford government. And this is the guy. So this is in the riding of Etobicoke Center. His name is Yvonne Baker. He was the Ontario Liberal MPP and got voted out last year in the provincial election is now running federally. So he knows this stuff very, very well. And he will tell you 100% that he doesn't even bring Doug Ford up. It's voters who brings it up to him and that they are are feeling regret over giving Doug Ford a majority government because of what he's done so far. Of course, he's going to say that he's the liberal candidate. When you talk to conservatives about it, you definitely get the sense that they would rather be talking about something else. They wanted the conservative candidate in that same riding told me my fight is not Doug Ford's fight. I'm focused on different issues. And but they are also happy to to say that Doug Ford's trying to clean up the problems caused by the Ontario Liberals. And so mm-hmm. both sides have have talking points that they give here. And I think that it is not very predictable about how voters will choose to vote on this. And the best example I can give of that is Etobicoke North is the riding that really, like that's where Rob Ford's base was. That's where he represented his ward at city council. And it's where Doug Ford um, won his riding provincially. But federally, that riding has gone liberal in every election since 1988, often by very large margins. And so Voters have different calculations when it comes to who they vote for federally. And so as much as everybody's talking about Doug Ford here and both sides have arguments, I don't think it's going to be a decisive factor. What are some of the issues that, that people are talking about the closer you get to Toronto? They, they seem to differ a little bit from where people are at in Brampton. Uh, where are voters in Etobicoke at? The topic that seemed to keep coming up when I was in Etobicoke, which is the inner suburb of Toronto, is gun crime. And uh, I think overall, Toronto is still a very safe city when you compare it to cities around the world. But people living in Toronto feel like they've just been reading constantly about gun crime. And of course, the mass shooting on Danforth Avenue last year, in particular, brought this subject to the forefront of, are we doing enough to get guns out of the hands of violent criminals. And so it's the liberals have been preparing this ground for a while about bringing forward the stronger gun control policy. They ran public consultations last year on a a full handgun ban and all, in my view, kind of preparing for what they were going to promise in the election platform this time around. And they held that announcement on Friday and on the Danforth Avenue where that mass shooting happened. It is largely, there's multiple aspects of it, but the centerpiece is banning more assault-style uh, guns and allowing cities to ban handguns. So for people who just want to see these bans come in place, that would tend to make them lean towards the liberals, you would think. But when you talk to people about it here uh, in or in Etobicoke, 
they also quickly bring up they want longer sentences for gun crimes. They think people get on get out on bail too easily and are just if they're convicted, they're out of jail way too fast. They want longer sentences. And that's something the conservatives that's much more of a conservative mindset and something that conservatives are promising. And so I don't think that it is a hundred percent clear where this will fall on firearms. I do think the liberals are probably more willing to make this a big issue than the conservatives are. The conservatives have to be mindful also of their voters across the country who, um, you know, rebelled over the long gun registry, for example. But, uh, you know, it is, again, one of these issues where people have complicated, people people have complicated uh, mindsets about it. And it's not always easy to know where the votes are going to go. And also right now we're potentially looking at races that are as tight, if not tighter than the national picture, correct? Well, in some ways, nationally, the conservatives and liberals are still in a, you know, within the margin of error. They're tied. The national number hides the fact a little bit that the conservatives are much farther ahead on the prairies and the liberals are quite a bit further ahead in Ontario. That was at the outset of the campaign. And given the liberal lead in Ontario, it is still, if you had to bet money right now, you would bet on them winning most of these Toronto GTA ridings, suburban ridings, because the party that leads overall in Ontario tends to win those ridings. That's just the way these waves have gone. Whether, you know, between the blackface scandal and, you know, the regular course of a campaign where announcements come out, and especially when the leader debates happen, and what whether that changes the polls in Ontario, that will really be a key factor here, is that if the polls stay the same, regardless of what's happening on the ground in some of these, except for a very, very close race, the, the idea generally is that a local candidate can change about 5% of the vote. So that mm-hmm. in a close race, it can matter. But for most of these, the voters have a history of going with the overall trend in Ontario. So unless the liberal lead starts to shrink, the liberals, I think you still have to say, are the favorites to win most of these ridings. Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Brian Platt. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>